ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But King Ahaz said, I will not ask. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, just in case, to be sure, any of you think I've gone completely around the bend. Um, I haven't gone completely, but I'm headed that way. Um, my beard is particularly white today because I was portraying St. Nicholas uh, at the St. Nicholas reception. Uh, thank you, Jim, for letting me do that. Right? Um, so, but here I am now. I needed a sign. I needed a sign. It was the summer before my senior year of high school. And I was living in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And for the previous three years, I had been entangled in a painful conflict with my stepdad. A family therapist that we had sought out for help suggested it might be a good idea to give everybody a break. And so I spent that summer before my senior year with my grandparents in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It was a great summer. It was a whirlwind. To make friends, I decided that I would attend my grandparents' church, which was the First Baptist Church of Bartlesville. And they had a youth group of, wait for it, over 100 kids. It was one of those Baptist youth groups, you know. And I had never seen anything like it. I, we attended a small Baptist church in Wyoming. The youth group was maybe four or five, six people. And so I went, and I began to make friends. I met a girl. <laughs> Her name was Gigi. And she invited me to attend that summer Falls Creek. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah. Sure you do. And if you don't, uh, Falls Creek is the Southern Baptist encampment that has every week, every week, over 5,000 kids in attendance. Now, for some perspective, St. Crispin's, our camp, has around 60 kids a week at our camp. So that gives you some idea. Well, I fell in love with Gigi as much as an 18-year-old kid can fall in love. But I also fell in love with Jesus that summer as much as an 18-year-old kid can fall in love with Jesus. And so that was the summer of Gigi and Jesus. <laughs> and at the end of the summer, I was sure of one thing. I didn't want to go back to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And so I wanted to live into this new life that seemed to maybe be presenting itself. I wanted to spend my senior year, if you can imagine it, in Bartlesville with this new group of friends. And so I made the pitch to my mother. And to my surprise, she said, it's up to you. It's your decision. Well, I desperately wanted to go. I was tired. I was weary of living at home where there was always sort of this ambient conflict. And it was exhausting. And to me, a new beginning made sense in the moment. But even at age 18, I was intuitive enough to see that it was going to break my mother's heart. You see, she'd been through a divorce, and she was the only one of her six siblings at the time whose marriage had ended in divorce. And she had married a man that had brought conflict into our house, 
I knew that she didn't want to fail as a parent. None of us do. And I sensed it. I could tell. And so I found myself in conflict between this thing that I wanted, that I thought was going to rescue me, and my care and love for my mother. But she said it was my decision. And, and I remember it almost like it were yesterday. It's never gone away. This has been like 30 years ago that I laid on the back patio of our house in Wyoming on that cool August night, and I prayed to God. I said, God, I want to go, but I don't know if it's the right thing. It was at that moment that a shooting star went across the heavens. And at 18, I was egocentric enough to believe that God had hurled a meteor through the Earth's atmosphere just for me. <laughs> Joseph wanted to do the right thing. St. Chrysostom, our fourth century, who was, who was called the golden mouth preacher, he sort of articulates this inward struggle. He speaks of Mary. He says, to keep Mary in his house, Joseph knew would be a transgression of the Torah. To expose and bring her to trial would probably cause her great emotional and societal pain and could even potentially lead to her high her death. He would do nothing of the sort. He, he wouldn't do that. And so Joseph determined to conduct himself now by a higher rule than the law. And Chrysostom writes, grace was appearing. And this event would be the first of many what Chrysostom called tokens of exalted citizenship. Tokens of exalted citizenship. Even in utero, the spirit of Jesus was reimagining the teachings and the laws of God. King Ahaz, in the reading from Isaiah, he did not want a sign. In fact, the backdrop of that story has to do with Ahaz wanting to embrace a very expedient political solution to a very complicated social and religious problem. And God says to Ahaz through his prophet, ask me, go ahead, ask me for a sign. But Ahaz, Ahaz refuses, and God sends one anyway. He says there will be a young woman who will give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But Ahaz wasn't interested in that answer. Be careful when you ask God for things. You may just get something that you do not want. So God gave Joseph a sign also in the form of a dream. I'd be curious whether it's in the line at the end of the church or you emailing me or giving me a call or a text. For those of you who have these vivid dreams, there have been a few rare occasions when I have awoke from a dream and everything about it, the contents of the dream, the way my body felt, the notions that I had about maybe what I was supposed to do in response to this dream, all pointed to the possibility that this dream came from God. Uh, Carl Jung, uh, that student of Freud's, had language for this. He, he was a student of dreams and the subconscious. He called this a compensatory dream, dreams that do work for you that you otherwise maybe are not willing to work. 
Joseph wanted to stay true to the teachings of God. He was a righteous man, a good, spiritual man. But he also wanted to be kind to Mary. In the midst of his weariness and her anxiety and her weariness, God gave him this sign. The situation, God would say in the dream, requires you to do something that's hard, which is often the case. What is hard is often the right thing. So I put this question to you, and maybe you could talk about this at lunch. Do you look for signs? I'll ask it another way. What is the degree and manner of your superstition? Are you a mystic? Does that play practically at all into the way you try to figure things out? I have little doubt that all of you make most of your decisions with reason and common sense, like they're sort of a logical, sequential, you know, cost-benefit analysis. But what of the mystical? Superstition comes from the Latin and the old French. It means to stand over something, to stand outside of the basic thing, to look for the extra. Do you do that? And I don't want you to mishear me. I'm a Christian priest. I'm pretty superstitious. It's what I do for a living. But maybe it's in your weariness, whatever type that may be that creates a context where God wants to extend the same invitation to you that he does to Ahaz. Ask me. Ask me for a sign so that God can work outside and over the thing that you have questions about. Weariness makes us vulnerable to the fantastic. Maybe there's no other way that that can happen. And did you hear it? This is in Isaiah. God gets weary. God gets weary of us. Weary of getting our attention. Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to, to weary human beings that you weary God also? And in the Psalms today, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angered despite the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and you've given them bowls of tears to drink. And so what's broken your heart right now? What has worn you out? Is it a job that feels meaningless and frustrates you? Is it a family member who is sick? Is it your own wavering health? Again, a job that seems to take more joy than it remotely gives you. Struggle to improve your performance and never quite feeling like you're achieving what you're supposed to achieve. The child, Isaiah tells Ahaz, and the house of David, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus stepping into our wavering confidence, our frustration, our anger. It's messy. It's not pretty. And that's where God shows up. God, in fact, is weary along with you. This is the dream that God implants in Isaiah's mind. It is the dream that maybe he wants to put in your subconscious. Mary will have a child and you will name him Yeshua, which means God, God saves. And he will be born into your weariness and walk with you. All right, so let me give you some mystical homework. Again, am I going around the bend? Yes. 
As you approach Christmas, I want you to do sort of a, a part of the Ignatian exercise. It's this, what he calls the examine that a lot of people in our congregation do at the end of the day. Take a piece of paper, and on one side of the paper, write something that is a struggle for you, that makes you weary. And on the other side, make an attempt to identify how God is present in that struggle. And then, as strange as it may sound, when you sleep, put it under your pillow. Who knows? Gracious and loving God, visit us in our weariness and remind us to visit you in yours. Make us vulnerable as you chose to be vulnerable. And give us a sign that we too might reimagine your law and be tokens of exalted citizenship. In the name of the Father and of the Son 